0: We had Square on our phones, so we are like, you know, we just, take your, just give me your credit card and we'll take your money right here. You, you never get better feedback on anything than asking people for money.
1: What is going on futurists? This is Michael Zakan, the 21-year-old founder and host of Our Future, a media company and podcast democratizing business knowledge through exciting digestible interviews optimized for the next generation of business leaders, and entrepreneurs. You might be wondering why you've only gotten two interviews of our future in the past two weeks, and let me level with you. It was because I was back in the golden city of Ann Arbor. Seeing some friends, taking a quasi-vacation, reflecting on the one-year anniversary of this podcast and kind of planning out the next steps for the future of it and figuring out how to really grow and scale Exponentially, expect me to be coming back in full force with some crazy content, and you know that begins right now. So let me introduce today's guest. That is Henrik Wordelin, the co-founder of BarkBox. It's the famed dog subscription box that recently notched a 1.6 billion dollar valuation. That's not the subscription box that got a 1.6 billion dollar valuation. This isn't for Bill Gates and his pooch. This is a 1.6 billion dollar company that recently announced a SPAC merger with Northern Star Acquisition Corp. It's super fascinating to see how hot the pet industry has become with the stay-at-home lifestyle of the pandemic. And this product fits perfectly within that. It was equally intriguing also to learn how Hemrick built this mega pet care startup subscription box company for dogs that makes Fido so crazy excited when the mailman comes by i'm serious they literally used to spray these boxes with a bacon scent so tune in and i hope you enjoy this awesome interview when you were my age when you were in college like what did you see for the world a lot of us are wondering what our careers are going to look like and we're worried about it but like i don't know what what did you see i'm sure you didn't see yourself being the co-founder of a the world's biggest dog subscription box I did not. It was not
0: in the cast. I mean, like if there's one thing that was always in the cast, was I always was the idiot that did all of the side projects. Like I was the one who started like the university radio station and you know did like CD-ROMs and and so I guess like uh you know if curiosity killed the cat and then made me make a dog company, that's kind of like uh the path. Um but I thought I wanted to be a CNN correspondent. That was my 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 dream at college. And so uh, that's kind of how I started
1: a CNN correspondent. Okay, so we're not. I don't think my current self is that different from yours because, like, I'm trying to. I'm doing the podcast, interview thing and you know, I, I do love journalism. So I think that's that's kind of interesting. Um, but the your early career was spent at uh, MTV, correct? It was spent at MTV. MTV. Wow. So a bit after the golden age of the 80s but it was still you know pop in and what, what were you up to there
0: I mean like I I mean like this might be a fun story so I I did my post my masters in London and uh, and kind of talked myself into an internship at MTV and was writing my final thesis um and I didn't have a computer at home at the time so I was writing it kind of like in in the evenings and so all my bosses would kind of come and ask what I was doing because I was like there until like, you know, 10, mid, 10 o'clock midnight. And then uh, and one of them asked if I knew about, you know, what I've, I was working on. And I told them about I like computers a lot. And and so this was just when the internet was emerging, like this is late 90s. Uh, and so they asked if I could come up with an idea for a TV show about the internet. And I came up with a show and everybody thought it was a shitty idea. and. I mean, like I then decided that it was a good idea to break into the studio and transmit an hour live TV, uh, which at the time (laughs) didn't land you in jail. uh, And then people thought it was a cool show. So um, I was super young, I was probably 23 and landed a job as running product development for for MTV in Europe.
1: So instead of getting fired, you got promoted as a 23 year old who broke into the studio to create (laughs) some kind of new TV show, that's so funny. I, I, feel would like,
0: not recommend, I would not recommend doing that, but I will recommend, I think what you're doing is to do sh- tons of side projects. I find, you know, also now that we're hiring people, you know, obviously we look at, you look at grades, but really what you're looking at is, is a story and like, you know, all the other things that you can kind of like justify that you are getting interested in, in this person. And so I, what I love about the u s. versus Europe is that you guys are so entrepreneurial and and that kind of mm-hmm. like drive of doing things outside school, I think is amazing,
1: yeah. Well, I also think young people should have more confidence to go and do things that you did. Like you had this belief and like because I don't know you were young, like most of these media companies are run by like older people, right? Like how can a young person be confident that their you know vision is potentially really cool, right? And that's what you did. Like you took it. 100%. A risk, right?
0: I mean, like, yeah. you seem like a very confident person. When I was like in your age, I was like just scared. I was just worried that people would figure out that I didn't know shit. And, <laughs> and like, I was so nervous all the time. Maybe that was the energy that propelled me. But, but I think you know, like a lot of times, like, I'll tell you a story. I was sitting, so I got like that job and at one of the first meeting I was in, I was with like all the biggest companies in the world at the time, They all their CTOs, and I got invited kind of for being like the cool MTV cat. Nice. And I was looking around and it just dawned on me like, these guys don't know what they're talking about it either. Like, they're just making all this stuff up. <laughs> and, and so I think that's the reality. Like now, that I'm older and I have a bigger job, like somebody like yourself come in with kind of mm-hmm. ideas and a deeper understanding of, for example, like how social work and stuff like that. And we don't have the answers. And so I think, you know, obviously don't be cocky, but if you can be confident, then the reality is that most of us we open all our LinkedIns, we read all the messages. If people write something that's not too irritating, we reply and and so I think this gap of kind of being early in your career and late in career, like it's probably much shorter than than people think it, it is.
1: Yeah, I think there's a certain difference between cockiness and, and confidence. And when you're young, I think you have license to, to literally reach out to the hemorrhoids of the world. Be like, OK, you know, How are how you successful? you have literally, you have license to do that because you're young and hungry and curious, right? Like that's what this podcast was built on. Like, you know, how many cold emails I sent.
0: And all of us us got help too, right? You know, like there's plenty of people who kind of like took a chance on me. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, now that I'm a little bit later in my career, I remember that. And so when somebody who's smart and have good ideas and a good integrity and work hard kind of present themselves, like that's gold for us, you know, we, we need more of, of those, people. specifically your generation, which just seemed to be like the coolest generation that we've had a long time. Like the way that I found what what works for me is to kind of like almost optimize for the environment. So find really good people to hang with, you know, be really curious and work really hard. And then kind of the school will take care of itself. Like then opportunities kind of come if you're constantly like making us thinking, right? So, so I think, it's very difficult these days to kind of say, this is where I want to be in 20 years because the world's going to change so much. But what you can influence is obviously your uh, attitude and how you approach every day. And I think as long as that's sound, I think things will end up well for you.
1: I like how you're uh, emphasizing the importance of like serendipity and just like letting things happen, put yourself out there, making cool stuff. I mean, that's what you did after MTV. So you started a series of companies after your time there and this is before you started your venture firm, Prehype, and before you started BarkBox. So could you really briefly just run through the companies that you were involved with? Because I, f- I believe a few of them, one was even went to Facebook, right? Is that yeah. Right? So um, I guess uh, after
0: MTV, I did a startup in Europe, um, and uh, we ended up selling that, not for a big exit, to uh, another company. I went to a venture firm called Index Ventures and was trying to play around with the idea of being an investor realized that I'm more of an operator. So moved to New York, uh, where I ran into a few kind of guys from, that was just cool people that I thought was amazing. And they were building this thing out in in Dumbo here in in New York. And so I got to join them and we only were worked on the project for, I think about a year. And then we got sold to Facebook and that, and then everybody moved West. And I kind of like had a love affair with, with New York. So, uh, I stayed here and built up prehype, which really was kind of like a a halfway home for entrepreneurial people that didn't really know what to do next. And so, out of that, we created like a corporate uh, advisory business uh, where we help incubate businesses for big businesses. Uh, We created like an institute where we teach entrepreneurship of a bunch of different schools and corporate kind of like education. And then uh, we build our own stuff. Um, And so, I ended up spending most of my time building Bark, um, but other of the crew kind of built uh, Roman, which is a big uh, mental health company uh, managed by Q that sold to WeWork and Co that sold to Fiverr. Wow. Um, and so um, it was a little bit of like a, a weird artist collective and and a few That's folks cool. went out and built some meaningful companies. And and well, including
1: BarkBox came out of there too, right? Yeah. Um, uh, how did the idea come about? I mean. I don't think it was that, you know pun intended, far fetched to create this subscription box for for dogs. I mean, had no one done it before?
0: I mean, like at the time, and this is like what eight nine years ago, uh, subscription boxes was that wasn't that much of a craze. You know, Catch and Haley had did Birchbox, I've done Birchbox, and that was kind of like just emerging. Um, and so, I guess the founding story is kind of fun. So I was at a conference, and if you. Choose the cheap ticket, which I tend to do, then you ended up being just paired with somebody random and uh, and this conference was in a uh, on a cruise ship. so it, it was a cruise ship. there was the Hacha bet, but they kind of like had pushed them apart. Um, but I thought it would be hilarious to push the bets together. and so I was first in the room, pushed the bet together, like redid the bet, and kind of went out for a drink. And Matt my now co-founder. he checked in later. And went to bed earlier. So the first time I ever meet the guy, we're lying in this hot-shaped bed on a cruise ship, and kind of like awkwardly, kind of like <laughs> trying to uh, shake hands because um, that's very, very pre-COVID. And then, uh, and we just started to, bring, to brainstorm about ideas. Um, you know, we had both started a few companies. We shared a lot of philosophy and, and values. Um, and funny enough, probably never a guy I would ever meet normally like he's like this somewhat introverted guy from iowa and like i'm a somewhat outspoken guy from from copenhagen um so but he has this dog called hugo which is a great dane in new york city and he is you know absolutely in love with this dog and i was fostering dog at the time and we just kind of like stumble into this idea that there wasn't a lot of good stuff and so what about making a box for dogs and and so i built the first version you know, like over the weekend, just in a WordPress template, um, and we started to show it to people. And most people said, hey, that's pretty cool. You should just sign me up when you're ready. And we had Square on our phone. So we we're like, you know, we just take your, just give me your credit card and we'll take your money right here. And so we ended up having Boom. like 70 accounts before we had anything. Like we had like a broken WordPress template. Um, and then we met and then we're like, hey, holy moly, we have to actually do this. And, uh, and Carly, our third co-founder, she had just started Uber in New York. She was the 16th hire or something like that globally. Wow. And so she was running around, but really wanted to be a founder herself. And so, uh, we're like, Hey, why don't you come and join us? And then you'll figure out how we actually do this stuff. And, uh, and she's the force of nature. So she just took, took that kind of like very inkling of a, a thing. And then she ran with it and, uh, and tacked us along lot and we tacked along. And so, pretty rapidly it just started to grow and and become kind of like a bigger that's,
1: thing well that's crazy I mean you guys are, were already established entrepreneurs but you were still scrappy enough to like be accepting payments on your phone like you didn't like you know shake this thing up and dress it up like you were just like all right like let me go find my 70 closest friends and family so make a list of customers and boom like we've got our subscription business we've got our at, at, you know monthly recurring revenue in the bag. I mean, like nothing, not you, you never get better
0: feedback on anything than asking people for money. Like the sick, if you say, Hey, I have this idea, it's an app that does blah, 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 then everybody goes, Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, maybe you can raise some money. But you say, You know, do you want to give me $20 a month for it? Then people are, Well, what is it? You know, how does it work? Da, 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 da. And so I believe in the swipe, you know, just ask, ask people for well, money and they'll
1: give you an honest feedback. You guys have Bark Box, you have Bark Super Chewer, you've got, a health product a food product you know it's actually kind of funny when i was i just recently interviewed the co-founder of netflix mark randolph um and him and reed were they wanted to do a subscription business and they actually had the idea they wanted to do a food company for dogs they wanted to do a subscription food company for dogs um which i think is hilarious um i mean I think he's really, such an interesting guy he, he just have a new podcast which is yeah. really
0: worth listening to
1: yeah definitely um so Okay. Uh you guys were building this product. I mean, at what point did you guys think about raising money for it? I'm sure you guys could have bankrolled it yourselves. And you know, for the young entrepreneurs listening, like uh, you know, um when is the right time to, to raise money? When is the right time to bring on investors?
0: When you when you take your first check of external money, you kind of like commit to making a very, very large company because you kind of get on the on the kind of venture crack, like of raising more money and building it fast, and then and, and and I think there is an incredible amount of interesting businesses out there that are just generating, you know, free cash flow, and that I think is very amiable. Uh, so we always had that kind of attitude. Now uh, we raised money when we realized that this was an industry that hadn't seen a lot of innovation for a long time, and that was completely greenfield, and that hadn't. Didn't have a brand that people connected to, and so uh, and we knew what we could spend the money on, so at that time, the box was all the way up and running. we kind of like knew the rough you know Cactel TV. We kind of had a good idea of like we knew that people liked the product, and we felt that if we threw money at it, we would be able to just to scale it uh, very fast and so we and got the range.
1: With with the main intention of spending the money you raised on marketing,
0: yeah, I think marketing. You know, I think at that point you're just three people packing boxes, right? And so I think first the first person actually we hired, or one of the first people we hired, is did our social. And so maybe we're a little bit contrarian there because obviously back in 2012, like it wasn't that big of a deal. But I maybe that's my background in TV. I felt it was important to kind of. Use content as a way of kind of expressing how we thought about the world and connecting with the audience we serve. And so, uh, you know, Stacy, who was our first social and, and still there, uh, she uh, she was like half customer support, half social person. And so uh, I guess I sold him on being a content person. And then when
1: she came, it was like, and you also have to answer the phones. Uh, so there you uh, go. You got to wear a lot of hats when you go work for a startup, you know. Exactly. Um, But yeah, that's crazy. And now you guys have, you know, millions of followers. It's, it's a, it's amazing. You started the content thing early. Every company is an audience company, um, all that. So, um, how are these boxes curated? Like, do you guys use AI to essentially take a dog's profile and mix these things together? Cause I I think I read that there were 170,000 combinations of boxes shipped out last year. Um, how how do these like how much human effort, case maker effort is put into it, or is it all algorithms?
0: It's kind of like a funny story. We uh, we started up by having uh, what we call a happy team. So we have a bunch of very very cool people in Columbus, Ohio, um, you know, OH, um, and uh, they uh, they uh, they run what we call the happy team, which is our customer service team, and they uh, they're just the heart and beating soul of our organization. And so they created a program very early, they called No Dogs Left Behind. And that was really, if somebody called to cancel, they basically had the mandate to do whatever they could to make sure they didn't cancel. And so we flew in from New York there one day and we saw like you know thousands of boxes being packed in the customer service center, which is not where we have our inventory. And we were like, what's going on? And they were like, well, you know, Emma's dog is allergic to, you know, chicken, and this dog only likes string toy. And so they had like these post-it notes on their laptop, the computers, and would just basically kind of like, uh, sorry, and they would basically uh, pack um, the, the boxes themselves. And so then we threw the engineering team and said, well, you have to try to solve that. And then one other thing happened, which was kind of fun, is that uh, somebody called us and said, hey, we're uh, we're getting your box. We love it but we have a pet pick and it's kind of like awkward (sighs) when you guys send pork treats. So can you please not send? Oh yeah. That's Uh, super awkward,
1: man. And
0: so, uh, so we then started to create like this, you know, personalization at scale where we get information about the dog and then we, we make sure that it's tailor-made for the, for the dog that we serve. Um, got it. And, and we're trying new stuff like i mean like we're not all there yet but for example we are trying to get to the point where the designers are able to kind of like come up with ideas and then kind of ask the system to see kind of what is the statistical chance that that concept will resonate with different types of breeds and different types of regions yeah and, and so we're trying to become much more sophisticated of that to to kind of give all our staff and ironman suit of 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 engineering so uh, so they can do that job better and we can serve our The dogs better.
1: Got it. So uh, I think we need to talk Spac Spac City, man. Um, You know the the biggest buzzword of twenty twenty and now twenty twenty one. The pandemic hits, right? Um, you, You didn't realize. I mean, did you? First off, did you immediately realize that pet people would have this huge focus on their pets during the pandemic, and then after that. How did this crazy success of the company during COVID start to influence your guys' thought process around going public via stock merger with Northern Star? No, I think, like every
0: company, we were completely obviously surprised by the pandemic, you know, like, and, and, you know, just in the early days trying to figure out how to navigate all this stuff. And, you know, like logistics became very difficult. You were not in the office. So we suddenly had to kind of figure out how we ran an organization like that, Uh, you know, company bank loans became difficult. Everything was just like pretty tough for a while. And so, you know, at the time, we didn't have any idea that that would kind of have a positive tailwind. Like we were, you know, it was was pretty hot days, like kind of like in from from, I think, March when we kind of like closed the office and, and the office is still, you know, people can come in for photo shoots and stuff like that, but it's still basically not open. Uh, so I think uh, we had we didn't see it there now uh, we were just happy that you know that our business didn't kind of like fall right. on a cliff. Um, and so I think you know in many ways you know when you've done a business for eight, nine years, you have gone through a different like different things that happened different kind of events where like fundraising that didn't come through or companies who said we're flirting with you to buy you. and And so kind of you get a little bit numb for all these things because there's just endless amount of ups and downs all the time. And the only thing you can really control is kind of how you serve your customer and that they're happy with what you do. And so in many ways, I think that Covid just rallied us around our mission of making you know docs and their people happy and and create magic for them and so but it, it must have put
1: the the this greater appetite in in you guys to scale this company even more right because to go out and on the public markets and uh, yeah
0: I mean like you know we had always wanted to be a public company uh, I kind of felt that this was kind of the type of company that retail investors would understand and honestly like having seen a bunch of companies being sold and then kind of like smolder uh, i don't think you get that many opportunities in your lifetime to build like a, a defining brand in a category right you know like there's yeah. somebody who built the nike and somebody built the uber and somebody built kind of like the the patagonia and the and the palace mart and and yeah and i think we have always seen our company as somebody that we hope will kind of deeply connect with people who, who love docs. And so, uh, we felt that was better served as a public company. And so we had been planning for a long time, like kind of, you know, create the internal systems in place, make sure you start to kind of be, have your, your finances audited, all those good stuff. Um, So we were kind of like, just kind of preparing for it. And then, um, and kind of looked at all the different options that were there, and then a bit of opportunistic, uh, you know, Joanna Coles and John the decky uh, came to us, and and you know, uh, Joanna knows a lot about media, and that obviously resonated with this idea of us kind of seeing ourselves a little bit like an entertainment company, and John knows an insane amount of st- uh, stuff about like the public markets, and and so. It was a little bit more like an opportunity that presented itself and we're like, let's do that, rather than it was us like saying, you know, let's back or let's direct list or
1: let's go uh let's go uh public and kind of like the traditional so way. It's pretty cool. I mean it's uh it's super interesting, you know, it made headlines, it's PR, you know, event as much as it was, you know, a, a financial one. Um so I I guess the next question I'd ask is has have have any mailmen been attacked by <laughs> uh, dogs that have that have that have smelled the
0: box. You know what? I've heard that a bunch of Amazon boxes have been opened without it being, uh, a, a, you know, addressed to the dog. Uh, I mean, like <laughs> most of the the dogs uh, knows that the bark box is for them. We used to do this trick, and I'm not sure, like, if they if that picked up that we used to spray the box with bacon scent, um, and oh, really? they went out yeah. the door. Um, but fun enough, like a lot of the mailmen, they carry treats for dogs, and and I think yeah. kind of like is is not their enemy anymore. It's kind of like more their their friend. Okay, so I'm happy I there haven't
1: been any lawsuits from the USPS or anything I, of, that, I of hope, that sort. I hope not. We are very appreciative of
0: the USPS kind of bringing the boxes out every month. Do You guys use the USPS? Is that your main uh, vendor? I honestly, don't know which one we use. I think we have different types of distribution for yeah
1: for different regions. Got it. And you guys are U.S. Are you guys beyond the U.S. Is just U.S.
0: We're in Canada now. Um,
1: okay, cool. And
0: um, obviously, me being Danish, you know, and used to be in MTV International. It's the rest of the world is something that we talk about a bit. But there's so many dogs to serve in in the U.S. It's such a big market, and <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so we. How been many dogs?
1: How many dogs are in the U.S.?
0: I think there's about a hundred million households with a dog, and they have like an average of one point eight. And so, a few hundred million, a
1: few hundred million dogs. Yeah, we've got we got four. I got three German shepherds and a labradoodle. Oh. But I'm a I'm at I'm a college right now, not with them. But when you mentioned Ohio, I'm at the University of Michigan. That's why I didn't really have a reaction. Um, <laughs> so, what what dogs do you have?
0: I have a a very spoiled yellow uh, golden retriever lap chow mix. She, uh, really? she's a, she's a street girl from, uh, Mobile, Alabama. And, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, uh, we, we fostered her and then we did what they call foster failing, where you're like, I cannot give this dog away to anybody else. And so, uh, so we got to keep Molly and she's now, nice she seemed to have forgotten completely that she used to live on the street. Like if I give her something, that's not an
1: organic treat. She looks at me and I'm like, I'm the devil. I'm like, who do you think yeah. I am?
0: <laughs> it's so, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, if you're a dog getting a, getting adopted by, you know, Henrik Werdelin, I mean, <laughs> you're kind of like a getting adopted by Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, you know, in the dog verse, <laughs> you're I'll, your royalty. I'll, you're I'll take royalty. that. If I can be Brad Pitt, the Brad Pitt of the, the dog world for a day, I'll take that. So what do you think is like the main ingredient of success as to why your company became like a unicorn like how do you look back like what is that ingredient do you think in, in your company I think for me the reason why it work is because i found a
0: bunch of very nice people and we did some cool stuff and and i think in many ways it was because we were not chasing the m- money that we ended up making something that truly resonated with the with the dogs and their people we serve um, so i think f- that the view I have is to build something for the right reasons. And then the school will take care of itself.
1: What is your big piece of career advice to young entrepreneurs?
0: (laughs) You know what? I got two that I have thought about later in my life that were good. One was one that Richard Branson mentioned, which was basically, if you can only say one thing to an entrepreneur, what would that be? And his answer was go to the gym. Um, I do think that kind of like um, mental health and basically burning out, you know, basically burning out your your uh, your mind and your body is kind of like a real issue. Uh, and so, and sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but I'll make I'll give the advice to make sure you take a little bit of good care of yourself, uh, because you know people who are listening to this, they're they're going to live to their over hundred, and so they have you know another 80 years of work in front of them and that's a mighty long time and so if if the hardware and the software kind of burns out uh meanwhile then
1: you know they're not going to get there ladies and gentlemen that was henrik wordlen co-founder of barkbox sharing an awesome story and some incredible entrepreneurial takeaways for you all today thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast Maybe you want to get your dog a BarkBox sub right now, or maybe you have a cat and want to replace it with a dog. I don't know. It was an awesome interview, but I do want to ask you to consider one thing, and that is leaving our future a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's the number one way to grow downloads. Thank you all for listening. Love you all. And as always, I want you to stay frosty out there. Peace out, everybody.